turn in your Bibles, not to the book of Romans, but to the book of Isaiah. The prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 7. I said a couple weeks ago that we're going to take a break from Romans until the first of the year and focus this month on some Advent and Christmas-oriented themes. Last week, Pastor Jeff Powell reminded us what Christmas is all about. It's about focusing on Jesus Christ and who He is. So we're going to continue that focus this week. Last year, now you've got to, now you've got to really think back, last year I started a new preaching tradition for December. Each year on the Sunday before our normal Christmas service, which will be next Sunday, I'm planning to preach on an Old Testament prophecy or foreshadowing of Jesus, the Messiah. A prediction of Jesus Messiah from the Old Testament once a year on this particular Sunday. Last year, I preached on Genesis 49, which was a fairly obscure passage where we get the phrase, Lion of Judah. Do you remember that? A little bit? That Jesus was to be the long-expected lion. This year, we're going to go for something a little more familiar. It's where in the Old Testament that we get the prophecy of Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. That's right. All four of our Advent readings are about Emmanuel this year. Next Sunday's message in the morning will be, from, will be about Emmanuel from Matthew chapter 1. And my message on Christmas Eve this year will also be about this meaning, this, this theme of Emmanuel. But Isaiah 7 is where it all starts. Isaiah chapter 7 and 8. Our message for today is entitled, O Emmanuel, from chapter 8, verse 8. O Emmanuel. Now this passage, if you haven't studied it before, will probably surprise you today. It's not what you might expect. You and I might guess that this is one of those places in the Old Testament that says something like this. One day there will be a Messiah. He is coming. He's not here yet. Let me tell you what He will be like so you will recognize Him. And then there's this list of predictions. And they're pretty straightforward. He will be like this. He will be like this. He will be like this and like this and like this. And you will recognize Him like this. And on top of everything else, the list says that the Messiah will carry the title of Emmanuel. But that's not how it is. It's not at all how it is. There are places in the Old Testament that are more like that than others. Isaiah 9, 6-11. And Isaiah 53, 1-12. And Micah 5, 2-5. And Psalm 110 and, and others. But many of the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament aren't like that at all. Jesus is all over the Old Testament, but often in types and shadows, and prefigurements, and patterns. He pops up where you don't expect Him, and then He melts into the rest of the story, leaving you longing for more. I think that's the kind of prophecy we have here today. So it's going to be a little bit different. Now, if you thought that Romans had been a little hard to follow, you might want to strap on your seatbelt this morning. Because there are some parts of today's passage that are also very hard to follow. The story takes place in the days of King Ahaz of Judah, somewhere around 735 
B.C. A lot of it hinges on Ahaz. That's why I put his name up here. Okay? There's going to be a lot of names fly by you. When you hear Ahaz, think, okay, he's kind of a central part of this story. It's kind of a story, Isaiah's in there, and God's in there, but Ahaz is a central character. So, this takes place around 735 B.C. Okay? Yes, you heard me right. 735, more than 730 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. It's a few hundred years since King David was born and ruled. So this takes place much later than First and Second Samuel that we studied over this last year. It takes place during the time, not of First Kings, but of Second Kings and toward the end of that. So around chapter 16 of Second Kings. So you got it in your mind? Okay. It's after David, a couple hundred years, before Jesus, about 700 years. Okay. King Ahaz of Judah is the king of the southern kingdom. After the breakup of Israel into two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom called Israel, or sometimes Ephraim, who was the chief tribe up there, had consistently bad kings. And the southern kingdom had sometimes good and sometimes bad kings. Everybody know their Hebrew history enough to kind of follow me where I'm going with this? Which one was Ahaz? On the king meter... Uh, is Ahaz a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a thumb sideways? Which which you think it is? Okay. Unfortunately, Ahaz is a thumbs down. Ahaz is of the line of David. He is a ruler of Judah from Jerusalem, but he does not make wise and godly choices. And the issue of the day for Judah is what to do about Syria and Israel. Syria and Israel are the two national neighbors to the north of Judah. Okay? So if Judah is our focus, then right above Judah is, is Israel, and right above Israel is Syria. And they are the two neighbors to the north of Judah, and they have teamed up to be the enemy of Judah. Yes, even though Israel and Judah are brothers, they are enemies right now. So who's fighting whom? Who's fighting whom? Have you, have you been able to follow me? Okay. Judah is the southern kingdom. Ahaz is the king. He's worried about his northern neighbor, which are his brothers, Israel. They've teamed up with Syria, the next nation to the north, to fight against Judah. Okay? That's what Ahaz is scared of. It's in this context of that threat that the word Emmanuel first appears in our Bibles. Let's pray together and then go see what happens. Father, we've, we've sung about it and it's been glorious singing. Glorious voices attuned to one another, listening to one another and joining together in praise of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us. We pray that He would get glory now as we focus our minds on Your Holy Word. Thank You for giving us Your Word. It's amazing that we have the Word of God. And here, even in our own heart language. This is the language we speak and use every day. And here we have Your Word in it to speak to us. Shame on us if we don't bend our ear. Shame on us if we don't do our best to understand what You're saying to us today. Thank You for speaking. We pray that Your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts and minds to understand better Emmanuel. And we pray it in Emmanuel's name. Amen.
Okay, so Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, you got it? When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now, it's already beginning to feel like you need a scorecard, right? I mean, it's all these different names. What's going on? There's really just three people in that verse. Okay? Ahaz is the king of where? Judah, right? Okay, He's in the line of David. His grandpa was Uzziah, who got talked about in the previous chapter in Isaiah 6. His daddy was Jotham. Okay, That's just saying who Ahaz is. You don't have to worry about those other names. Ahaz is the guy being tested in this story. Now, there are two other guys in this story, and they are kings. King, King Rezin of Aram, that's another name for Syria, and Pekah of Israel. His father was King Remaliah. Rezin and Pekah have teamed up against Ahaz. Got it? Who's teamed up against Ahaz? Rezin and Pekah. Okay, good. Now, so far they've been unsuccessful. But that doesn't mean that Ahaz is not scared. Verse 2. Now, the house of David, Ahaz, was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So Ahaz is told, officially told, that these two have gotten together to take him down. And he's shaken. He and his people are shaken like the wind whipping through the forest. Can you think of that sound? Can you think of that that sight when the, the wind comes blowing through the trees and The trees are all shaken and their leaves are falling down all over the place. Have you ever felt like that? Your enemies are conspiring against you, the world, the flesh, the devil, or maybe somebody more immediate. And you can't see any way out, any way forward. Life is just scary. Life is overwhelming. It's unbearable. It's frightening. Some of you felt that way this week. Some of you are feeling that way right now. And some of you will feel that way tomorrow. Where will you turn? The Lord gives Ahaz a chance to turn to him. Look at verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, there's our prophet, now a fourth person in the story, Go out, you and your son Shear-Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. So, Isaiah and his son, another member of this story, are sent on a prophetic mission. Ahaz will be checking his resources in light of the coming attack. So Isaiah and Shear-Jashub have a message for him. By the way, Isaiah's son... His son's name is probably not a coincidence. His name means a remnant will return. And he's sent along on this. It's probably not a coincidence. And here's the message that they are to deliver. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Anybody else need to hear that message this week? Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. The message is, Ahaz, don't worry. Don't be scared. 
Don't be shaking in your boots. Resin and pica aren't anything but smoldering stubs of firewood. You know what those are, right? When you have a campfire, well, the night you have the campfire, it's really hot, really dangerous, right? In the morning, there's this little trickle of smoke kind of coming off of it, right? You can still almost grab it with your bare hands and put it away, right? Especially if you grab the end, it isn't hot anymore, right? Don't worry about it. That's what, that's what Isaiah is supposed to say to Ahaz. Smoldering stubs of firewood. Okay? They're like cigarette butts on the, floor, on, on the ground. Just don't worry about that. Now that's not how they seem. Right? They seem like they shake the whole forest. But they're really just smoldering stubs of firewood. They're about burnout. No, they have bad plans. Oh yes, they do. But Ahaz, don't be scared of them. Verse 5. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let's tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Overthrow and puppet dictator replacing King Ahaz. Yet, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Resin. Ha! The ha is in the Hebrew. Trust me. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. That's where we get the Samaritans from, in fact. Right? Israel is busted to pieces. There's nothing left up there. And the few people left intermarry and we get these half-breed Samaritans. Right? Within 65 years, that's all going to be over. Don't worry. The head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is only... Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Here's the application. It was good for Ahaz. And it's good for us today. Don't shake. Stand firm. God has promised so much to us. So when the storms of life come and shake us like the trees of the forest, we need not give in, but to stand firm in faith. Verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. God says these threats are nothing. Resin? Pika? You're scared of them? Stand firm! And God's probably saying the same thing to you about the threats of your enemies. They feel big. They feel scary. They feel strong. They are painful. They do hurt. They do loom. They do threaten you. But he says, trust me. Don't be scared of those things. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Be careful. Be calm. And don't be afraid. Now, what do you think King Ahaz will do? Well, we already said that on the thumb meter, he's one of these kings. Sadly, I have to report that he does not do well. Ahaz, in fact, is determined to worry. He's determined to be frightened. He's determined to go on his own. He doesn't believe Isaiah and Shir Jashub. He hardly listens to them. He doesn't listen to God. Here's how it works out. 
In verses 10 and 11, God offers him a blank check. Look at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Go ahead, he says. No limits. Right? No limits. Cash out the bank. Sky's the limit. Or the star's the limit. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ask me. Ask for a sign. And so in verse 12, Ahaz says, But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Mm. Wrong answer, Ahaz. He failed his test. Now, it sounds good, right? It sounds pious. I will not put the Lord to the test. The Bible says don't test the Lord. Don't demand a sign. It's good to not demand a sign. But it's not good when the Lord offers you one and tells you to ask for one. Verse 13, Then Isaiah said, Hear now the house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Yes. God told you to ask for a sign. He told you to trust Him. He told you to test Him out. And you refused? See, that's a lack of faith. Now let me tell you what foolishness is apparently going through Ahaz's mind. Ahaz was trusting in himself and his resources and his wisdom. And he was planning to trust in Assyria, the nation of Assyria. You see, Ahaz has a plan. Ahaz is going to ask the big ravenous nation to the north even more of, of Syria, called Assyria, to help him to deal with his problem of Syria, Aram, and Israel. Ahaz is going to put his trust in his an alliance with this bigger power of Assyria. Second Kings 16 tells us that he does just that. And the rest of Isaiah tells us the same thing. You see, Ahaz doesn't feel the need to test the Lord because he's got other things to lean on. Here's the application. Don't trust in yourself. Believe in Emmanuel. Sadly, we often do the opposite. We put our faith in our own abilities and our, our own resources. You know, we say, well, I think I'm smart enough to do that. Or, uh, you know, I, I think I've got enough cash in the bank that I can trust that. Or we think, well, I've got all these people on my side. And we lose sight of God and His presence and His promises. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You've got to make a plan, work your plan, trust your plan. Now all those have limited value as statements. But they're nothing like the truth of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Ahaz, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Don't make the mistake that Ahaz did and trust in your own understanding and in anything else than God to save you. It tries the patience of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to try the patience of God. I'd hate it if verse 13 was spoken about me. I'm sure it has it on some level at some point. Come on, Matt, Matt, you're going to try the patience of God? Trust in yourself and your own resources? 
That's what prayerlessness is. When I say, well, I'm not going to pray about that. I, I got this one covered. That's doing that very thing Ahaz was doing. I want to trust in the presence and promises of God. I want to believe in Emmanuel. Look at verse 14. Okay, King Ahaz, you don't want a sign? Well, you're going to get one anyway. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel. Now there's our verse. All right, that's the key verse of this, of this week. There's our prediction. There's our prophecy. Next week, I'm going to take up Matthew 1 and show you how Matthew sees this miraculously fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. But I think there was a partial fulfillment in the days of Isaiah. This baby with the special name Emmanuel was a sign to King Ahaz. So I think that King Ahaz must have seen the first fulfillment of Emmanuel in his own day. See what verses 15 and 16 say about the boy. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. You see how this prophecy is fulfilled, at least in some part, in Ahaz's time? You didn't want to sign Ahaz, but I'm giving it to you now. A young maiden will have a baby and his name will be Emmanuel. And while he's still on soft foods or before he can tell right from wrong, the very thing you're so shaken about and not trusting me about will be all over. Now, some of you are saying, well, wait a second. Uh, I haven't heard this before. This is different from what I've been taught. You can see that's a different way of looking at verse 14 than than some of us have been taught before. Some people only see Jesus in verse 14. And I highly respect those that do. They have good reasons for it. They believe the virgin is Mary and the baby is Jesus and that's it. And if that's you, I highly respect you. But I I think it's more like what we've seen with King David. Remember last year when we said that King David was the first Messiah? The first anointed one? And when when David was at his best, he prefigures the Messiah to come, the perfect greater one, great David's greater son. We saw a few weeks ago that Adam was a type or a pattern of Christ to come. And we saw last year that David was a type or a pattern of the Christ to come. I tend to think that the first Emmanuel was a pattern of the greatest Emmanuel who was to come as well. So who was this first Emmanuel? Well, scholars are split on that. Those who don't think that it refers just to Jesus don't necessarily agree on who it was in Isaiah's day. Some think it was an unknown woman with an unknown baby. She didn't know about all of this, just named her little son Emmanuel, and it worked out that it was God's plan to send Ahaz a message. Some think it was a son of Ahaz and an unnamed new queen. That's because the baby eats curds and honey, which are sometimes referred to as royal food. And that would make him also a son of David in the line of the Messiah. But I don't think the timing is right for it to be a son of Ahaz. I tend to think that it's a new son of Isaiah. Isaiah and a new young wife. His first wife, Sheer Jashub's mom, is probably dead. 
And Isaiah is to take a young maiden of marriageable age, a virgin at the time of their wedding, and they come together and produce a little one that fulfills the first part of this prophecy. In a second, I'll show you why I think that. But first, we've got to see what happens to Ahaz and Judah. God has said, don't trust in yourself. Believe in Emmanuel. Believe that God is with us. But that's not what Ahaz did. And the truth is that Assyria will not just come and wipe out Aram and Israel, but it will decimate the land of Judah as well. So you say you want Assyria, King Ahaz? Well, that's what you'll get. Look at verse 17. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. That was a troublesome time. He will bring the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the distant streams of Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. Over here. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the crevices in the rocks on all the thorn bushes and at all the water holes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the river, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and the hair of your legs and to take off your beards also. Shame. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two goats. And because of the abundance of the milk they give, he'll have curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. And that sounds good, but I think it's saying that there are so few people that one guy's cow and goats could feed them all so to speak. In that day, in every place where there were a thousand vines worth, a thousand silver shekels, there will only be briars and thorns. Men will go there with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for all the hills, once cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of the briars and thorns. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. I think what he's saying is this, is that Ahaz was given a chance to trust in the Lord to test out the Lord's mettle and might, to believe that God was with him. But he wasn't going to test the Lord. He was going to trust himself. He wasn't going to believe in God, that God was with him. He was going to believe in the king of Assyria. And so it's the king of Assyria was what he was going to get. There are consequences for not believing in Emmanuel. But that does not mean that God is, not, is truly not with His true people. God is with His people. Even when they are faithless, God is faithful. Now in chapter 8, verses 1-4, through 4, is the big reason why I think that Isaiah's son was the first fulfillment of the Emmanuel prophecy. Let's look at that. Chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen... Maharshalah Hashbaz. And I will call in Uriah the priest and Zechariah son of Jeberechiah as reliable witnesses for me. So something new is happening here. The Lord is talking now not to Ahaz, but to who? To Isaiah. And He's telling him to get out his iPad and his stylus and to write down an unusual name. Maharshalah Hashbaz. I just love saying that. Maharshalah Hashbaz, which means... Quick to the plunder and swift to the spoil. How would you like to have called your son? Isaac, we should have called you that. You should be Maharshala Hashbaz. And we would say, Hey, quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Get over here. Time for dinner. And Isaiah is supposed to get that name witnessed on some kind of a legal document. They call in his friends, uh, Uriah the priest, and, and Zechariah son of Jeberechiah, to witness 
this legal document, probably to certify that God is prophesying the meaning that this name will occur. Now, it seems like an ominous name, doesn't it? Quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Somebody's going to get ransacked and soon. Judgment is coming on somebody rapidly. It's still to be seen who that is. Now, listen to the parallels between verses 3 and 4 of chapter 8 with chapter 7, verses 14 through 16. Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, Name him Mahershala Hashbaz. Before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. So I tend to think that this prophetess, either a female prophet or a way of saying this wife of the prophet, is the first fulfillment of the virgin of 714. And Mahershala Hashbaz is the first fulfillment of Emmanuel. Before he could even say, Mama or Dada, Syria and Israel will be defeated. And yes, it is defeated by Assyria, but not because of Ahaz's wisdom, but because of God's. Assyria will be quick to the plunder and swift to the spoil of the capital cities of Damascus and Samaria. Why? Because God is with His true people. God can be trusted. This prophecy of Mahershala Hashbaz, whether or not it's the fulfillment of chapter 7, verse 14, is certainly a fulfillment of chapter 7, verse 7. God can be trusted because He's with His people. Believe in Emmanuel. Believe in the message of Emmanuel. God is with us. But Ahaz did not. Judah at this point did not. And they would have to face the consequences of trusting in themselves and trusting in Assyria. Verses 5 through 8 of chapter 8 are the parallels with verses 17 through 25 of chapter 7. They are the consequences of not trusting the Lord. Look at verse 5. The Lord spoke to me again because this people, Judah, has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, God's grace and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, as if in their own great power they had defeated them. Therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, Euphrates. The king of Assyria, with all his pomp, it will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. Oh, Emmanuel. There's our title, isn't it? Judah was failing the test. And they will reap the consequences. They didn't trust the gentle stream. So they're going to get the flood. But notice that God cares. You see that? That God cares? God isn't dispassionate about what's going to happen to His people. He's not like, oh well, they didn't listen. Send the flood. No, Ahaz is trying his patience in this previous chapter and and here he's almost crying over it. Even as they're experiencing the righteous discipline of the Lord, he is still with them because they are his. Notice that they're overwhelmed but not drowned. The water comes in but it's up to their neck, right? They're standing on their tippy toes. 
doesn't, it doesn't drown them out. Why? Because God is with them. Oh, Emmanuel. God has made promises to the heir of David. The heirs of David. And to His people. And He's going to keep them. Even when they are faithless, He is faithful. The message of His name is still true. God is with them. Oh, Emmanuel. It's Emmanuel's land. Promised. And promised to Him. And the message of His name is still true. God is still with us. Here's the application. Don't despair. Remember that God is with us. I was surprised at how negative these two chapters were. I thought if it was going to be about Emmanuel, then they would be a bright light shining out of the darkness of the first half of Isaiah. There are those bright lights in the first half of Isaiah, in the first 39 chapters. Chapter 9 is like that. A light dawns. We're going to get a sun. And it's, it's, it's exciting. And then the second half is full of bright light. But aside from the great fulfillment of chapter 7, verse 14, these are pretty dark verses. Because God has not taken up on His offers. He offers to defeat their enemies. He offers to give them a sign of His good intentions. He offers His own presence to cheer and to guide. But except for a remnant, the sheer Jashubs, a remnant will return. They don't take Him up on these offers. They shake instead of standing firm. They trust themselves and their wisdom and their resources and their allies instead of believing in Emmanuel. It's really kind of depressing. But that's how life can be, isn't it? In fact, this time of year is often one of the most depressing of the year for many people. Financial pressures, temptations to greed and gluttony, Less daylight always makes me feel bad. Getting the old Christmas thing together. Maybe your family doesn't want to get together. Maybe they're not getting along. Maybe you've lost someone this year and they won't be at Christmas. Maybe you lost someone ten years ago and you still feel it the most every Christmas. Life can get pretty depressing and even pretty scary. What does the future hold for us in the next year? What will be the Fergusons and the Ebola crisis and the Ukraine of 2015? And will we get swept up in it? What about ISIS? What if I die in the next year? What if I get attacked by the world, the flesh, and the devil? It's easy to give in to despair. But this text ends with a reminder of the meaning and message of Emmanuel. It ends with a reminder that no weapon that's fashioned against our Lord will prosper. That as the Williamsons read for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? Look at chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. Don't despair. Trust in the message of Emmanuel. Don't believe that you're all alone. 
Don't believe that you're abandoned. Don't believe that you're on your own. You have to handle this. Believe that God is with you. Because you belong to Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, not just a maiden, and bears the title Emmanuel.